Hello, everyone. Thank you for tuning in and welcome to Grow With Rosie, the podcast that discusses personal development topics that could help improve your quality of life. How important is it for you to improve your quality of life? What you can expect each week is personal development topics with special guests who are life coaches from various niches, authors, and many more. Stay tuned for all the great details. Now here's your host, Rosie. Hello everyone, welcome to Grow With Rosie, the podcast that discusses personal development topics that could help improve your quality of life. I'm your host Rosie and today's episode will focus on parenting. The topic for today is how to avoid indifferences when merging different parenting styles. I am honoured to have Faraz Ali as my guest today. Faraz is known as a three-time international best-selling author, activist, mentor, coach, chief empowerment officer and entertainer. Be sure to listen to this all the way through for all the great details. Welcome Faraz, how are you today? Good morning, greetings, I am doing well, how about yourself? I am doing great Faraz, it's a pleasure to have you join me today to talk about how to avoid indifferences when merging different parenting styles. Now before we get right into it, can you kindly introduce yourself to the listeners and maybe share some information about your background on how you got into this wonderful area of coaching. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you, Rosemary. So uh, I started off in working in television and IT, all different markets, working in different niches. And a big part of my life is exploring. I do a lot of traveling. And when becoming a parent, one of the key or repetitive comment from my friends and family was, your traveling life's over, boy. You can't do that with a child. I'm like, why not? It's just the way it is. I'm like, all right, we have songs called, it's just the way it is. So anyway, everyone I met kept saying this, my life's over. And you're like, what exactly is going to happen? I cannot travel anymore. I cannot live freely. So I'm like, let me do a experiment. And this was before the coaching was born. This was simply me doing an experiment of sustaining my free-flowing digital nomad lifestyle when I have a child. And I set out to break all the myths about this. And I was ready to say, maybe these guys were right. Maybe they were wrong. So I set on a mission to travel as much as possible and sustain my lifestyle. So what happened is... I ended up traveling with my uh, wife and daughter to 33 countries in three years. We're living in different parts of Asia, Australasia. So it was just uh, free flowing. And I discovered this is not that hard. It's not complicated. And what came out of this research and those listening, there was challenging days, but they were not as challenging showstoppers as it is prescribed by many. It is easily figure outable. It's easy to take care of it. And what I found from this, there's a lot of limiting belief 
in the parenting circle. And because of this, I'm like, maybe I can help people. And that became a reality when people started reaching out to me on social media, on my emails, calling me like, hey, how do you make this so easy? What is the secret? What do I need to learn? And once questions started coming in, I couldn't attend one-on-one to everybody. I started creating videos, writing blog articles. And next thing you know, I was consulting on this area. But the biggest part of the coaching part is when I started doing more and more research. And this was during my travels as well. I studied the literature from Dr. Shafali to Shelley Lefko, some of the leading academic influences in this area. And I started using their models. I started using models from older books to see how that works. Um, Jumping into human behavioral psychology. And all of this led to creating a blueprint, which works simply between a parent and a child, but also the interpersonal relationship between the parents. So because of the success I've had with this and the recommendations I've given to people, I have officially started coaching in this area. So that's how it is born. Uh, So Rosemary, what I actually teach and consult and coach people in is holistic lifestyle design for parents. So uh, yeah, that's a quick summary of how it all got started. Experimenting on breaking some old outdated parenting myths and the success led to people contacting me to get more information. Thank you, Faraz, for sharing all that wonderful information about your background and also explaining what you do. It's very inspiring. Now, moving on to the next question, as the focus is on conflicts on parenting styles, do you know of any statistics or research based on this subject to support what is being said today? Yeah, definitely. I can share some of the rare numbers that have come up for me when I've been uh, writing my book. So I've got a book coming out on this. uh, Well, this topic will be covered in the actual book. I have three other books out already. Uh, But during this research, I've discovered that what happens is once the pregnancy starts, parents are all excited and all this news starts coming. Like I mentioned, people saying, your life's over, you're never going to sleep again. People are like, what does that mean? And once they have a child, because they've only been getting a lot of warnings rather than constructive feedback or advice that can help them structure their relationship as three going forward instead of being two. 67% of all first-time parents experience relationship dissatisfaction. And I'll jump into the origins of this as well. So men experience this relationship dissatisfaction in the around nine months time and women in around six months time. And this originates from the resentment that builds up. And for all parents listening, at some point, the competitive mind is kicked in like, how many diapers have I changed today? How many diapers has he done? How many diapers were poo diapers and how many diapers were pee diapers? Because poo diapers require more energy. What has he done lately in the house? All this comparison starts coming in. And we tend to keep it, inwards and this builds resentment and 
and the negative energy keeps building. And because you're in a new family environment where you move from being a couple to being three or four, if it's twins your first time, there is a lot of resentment, negative energy, uncertainty, lack of confidence to go with the huge changes that are happening for a lady after the transformation of a body to carry the child, deliver the child and go back to normal. There's a period of three months after giving birth that the lady needs extra attention. And same for the male. There's uh, research showing there's a lot of hormonal changes for men. That papa bear protective emotions come out. And during all of this, if there's no structure, there's no clear communication, and there's only resentment, frustration, relationship dissatisfaction, and mind you, there's no sex in this period usually either, especially after the first three months. Lady doesn't want to see a penis, and the man is still recovering from what he saw coming out of the vagina. Let's just be clear. Uh, and this conversation is not spoken about openly with men, is what did you see in the delivery room? Because, yeah, we, uh, Rosemary, you've probably seen a lot of American movies. It's so glorified, the whole process of a man sitting next to the lady and coaching, push, baby, push, you got this. And a cry comes. It is not that pretty. For me, I, I booked a sideline seat next to my wife just for the coaching role. I'm like, I'm a coach. I can coach. This is going to be fun. And when the nurse said, I need help, I'm like, why am I getting a front row seat? And then I got put in a front row seat. And the view of watching the head come out, the whole body, there's a lot of blood, mucus, pee. There's, it's not the most prettiest sight. And when I wrote about this in my book, I'm like, it wasn't a pretty sight. But when you hold the baby for the first time, that is a magical moment. But people don't speak about this non-magical moment, the gross details, because a person needs to recover from that whole event. And if they're not healing, they're not communicating with others openly, their relationship dissatisfaction just escalates because we all know that if you hold on to unresolved issues, it's just going to manifest in your head into a big storm. And that storm will create negative emotions, unanswered questions, frustration. And because you're living in a confined environment with your wife or husband and just your child or children, you're going to start taking it out on them. And once you start creating this storm, this negative family culture, it becomes really complex. It becomes really difficult to live in this environment. And that's why 20% of couples split after 12 months of the new arrival. And these numbers are from the US, uh, but I've seen it's very similar across the globe. Now, when it comes to Asian cultures, being from Indian background, the 20% split is far minimal. It's in the 1.3 to 5%, depending on which part of Asia. And this is because of the cultural taboos of if you divorce, it is bad. It brings shame to the family. There's all this cultural, societal intertwining that keeps couples together in unhappy relationships. And because of this, the child grows up in an environment that is not fostered with love, that they can observe and learn and bring forth 
into their future relationships because of subconscious program. They rather see a cohabiting space between two adults who are the caregivers to that child as opposed to two lovers in an environment. So this area is very complex once we go from different cultures. So yeah, 67% of all first-time parents experience relationship dissatisfaction. And this is close to the global average as well. It's good to know some of the statistics on this subject. You have highlighted some of the many important facts around pregnancy and some of the many things that most women will go through during the pregnancy and even after the pregnancy. And yes, it does affect the men as well. However, I feel like most times, not all the time, but most times, the focus is on the female. What do you think? Yeah, that is correct. There's, um, so there's a lot of peer-to-peer -peer female support groups, uh, pre-pregnancy, during pregnancy, post-pregnancy. They is well-constructed communities online and offline for ladies. Now, when it comes to men, there is an isolation period because men do not have the same infrastructures, the same support groups as ladies. And now it is improving. There's a lot more stay-home dads. I know a lot of them. I was one of them. And once uh, men start creating this space of transparency and vulnerability to say, hey, I don't know what I was doing. While my child was sleeping, I'm like, and this is my story from my stay home dead period. While my child was sleeping, the baby was sleeping. I was in the bathroom, like looking at me, like I got to shave. I got to take care of myself. I am suffering in here. And then the baby started crying. I started crying like, oh man, here we go again. And when you have these conversations with other men and tell them it's okay to be vulnerable, mm -hmm. let's speak baby daddy. Because it is the reality of our life. Just because we men, we are the providers, we are trying to provide for a child and our wife, but it is okay to admit we don't know what exactly we're doing right now. We need some help. And reading stuff in books is okay, but having conversations is much more deeper in the sense of having a connection with another human being, having that eye-to-eye -eye connection, the transfer of energy, we can compare stuff. And women do this so well, and men are learning from women now. And that's stepping into that feminine energy of being nurturing, of being able to give love, receive love openly, and don't have to be that, have the strong, masculine Captain America shield. Like, I'm okay. I don't need to speak about my emotions. I'm all good. I haven't slept properly for one month, but I'm okay. We're getting to the point where people are being more vulnerable. Vulnerability is becoming a superpower. And for parents, once they accept this, it opens up a lot of new doors. No, so uh, this is something I really encourage parents is creating a male support group, creating a female support group, and also creating a parental support group where you meet other couples. Because once you create all these small communities, you have places for healing, places for inspiration, and places for connectivity. And these three elements makes life a lot easier than just being an isolated pod. And by pod, I mean a family of three or four living within your apartment and just trying to figure everything out. 
We need that human connection because we are a, our innate programming is for being a tribal species. And if we look into the history of humanity, it took a village to raise a child. So if we go to Asia or Africa, even 30, 40 years ago, you walk into the village, you're like, ah, that lady is breastfeeding her child. Mm -mm, that is not a child. That is teamwork. It, that child is one biological mom, five step-in babysitters, moms. That child is being taken care of by the whole village, by the whole community. And now we've moved to a period where there's so much pressure on parents to raise the child alone. It is difficult as it is for two parents. And my heart and head goes off to single parents who are my heroes because they are doing so well in raising a child alone. And there's so much judgment and pressure on them. So there's a, this area of parenting requires a lot more compassion from the community and society. And we are working on this. That's lovely for us. And thank you for sharing this information. Now, going back to the emotional support for men, from your experience, do you think that men are now more open to talk about their experiences of becoming a new parent? Uh, absolutely. We have spaces now where men can connect uh, because you won't find five fathers sitting in a pub speaking about baby stuff, the color of the poo, the any problems, uh, teething problems. They won't be discussing this openly. Or if, if they are, they'll be like, mate, the teething is freaking tough. Yeah, mate, no worries. Have a beer. Everything's going to be okay. That's the traditional conversation. Now we move to this uh, more in-depth conversation like, yeah, teething's a problem. How are you dealing with it? What has your doctors recommended? What information do you have that I don't have? What can we share together that will help us both sleep better at night and take care of our children and family better? The conversation's moving into that deeper clarity. And because of that, men are like, you know what? It's okay to have this conversation. We don't need to talk about sports, cars, and women all the time. We can speak about our deeper feelings. And once you give the green light to another man to speak about that, it opens up new doors. And we have a global movement where men are creating the spaces, creating these groups. And I'm fortunate to have other baby daddy groups where we discuss all of this stuff. But this is, once again, this has only emerged in the last five, 10 years. That's great to hear about the update on the support systems for men. You did mention something about groups. Are these groups created by yourself or they are groups created by someone else that you have joined? Uh, so right now, these are the groups I have kind of created out of my own need to serve my own sanity to keep my shit together. And the reason is why I jumped into parenting coaching because there's not enough information around and what I mean by this, if you open up some of the books regarding parenting, it speaks about the relationship intelligence aspects between parent and child. And sometimes it speaks about the relational 
bonds between the two parents, but it doesn't speak about the support groups. And if it does, it's mainly focused on females. So when I went through this book's this research, there's nothing about male support groups. And to get this done, men have to take the first step and approach other men and say, hey, are you part of any support group? No, I am not. Cool, would you like to create one? Okay. And you can do that physically. Otherwise, you can just punch it into Facebook and people will start gathering. Because if it resonates with them, it's relevant, they will show up. So it's all about searching. And now we're seeing more and more. But uh, five years ago, I couldn't find any on Facebook. So it is a uh, space that if you take charge and create one, you will gain your local support from your local communities. So let's say if you're in a Spanish-speaking community, you can create one in Spanish. If it's in Chinese Mandarin, you can do that. And you can have regional groups before moving on to international global groups, which is the more common availability at the moment, Rosemary. That's great for us. So from your experience, what are some of the things that parents could be doing wrong when it comes to merging different parenting styles? Or let's say when it comes to parenting in general, what are some of the things that parents could be doing wrong? Yeah, absolutely. So uh, let's start off with the man, the manspective. That's what I call it. It's a word I've created, still pending to get into the Oxford Dictionary. So from the manspective, they've been taught from their moms who've been nurturing is, and this is the old paradigm, women take care of the child, men are the providers. They work, and then the man comes home, plays with the child, does all his duties, and that is it. So the woman's the primary caregiver. But now we move into the modern man, the conscious man who is 50-50 on the caregiving. And what happens is when you, that's the first stage. It's moving from having the female as the dominant caregiver to the new paradigm, which is shared co-parenting, 50% caregiver, both persons. Now, a man cannot breastfeed, but there's breast pumps you can put in a bottle and feed it as well. Because if you work as a team, things get better. If the woman's predominantly doing everything and the man's just playing a Supporting role, it's good, but it's not enough. Especially if you don't have the full village raising a child. Now, back, coming back to your question, things parents are doing wrong, is firstly the lack of awareness. And what I mean by this is the awareness that, hey, the woman doesn't have to do all the work. We can share 50-50. Awareness that, you know what, it's just not about us two. We can get the grandparents involved. We can get the neighbors involved, any family members to get additional support. Lack of awareness that, wow, what I've learned about putting a child to sleep or getting a child to eat, these are dated from the 80s. Or maybe if someone's older, they're dated back from the 60s, back from the 40s. And the awareness part comes from, is this information still relevant in this current day and time? And that's when we move from awareness to acquisition. Let us acquire more information. And this is when you pick up books, you read articles, you speak to other parents, see what they're doing, 
It's a collection and acquisition of scientific data, data that has been tested, and we know if it works, if it doesn't work, because you don't want to pick up myths, and that's the biggest thing that you break in your awareness stage, is breaking the myths. One of the myths I can share with you, parents have been taught, and this comes from different cultures, from the Nordic to the Asian culture, it's global, is if you put a baby or a toddler in a room into their bed because it's eight, it's six o'clock at night, it is sleep time. Maybe they're gonna cry, but they'll eventually fall asleep. A lot of people I've spoken to have prescribed this to me. The easiest way to make them sleep on their own bed at a given time is lock them up in the room. Not lock them up, just put them in the bed, darken it out so they'll get the cognitive association that is dark and it's time to sleep and I'm in this place alone. Now, this is a knowledge illusion. Now, imagine if I locked any person up in a room at any given time and forced you to sleep. First, you are crying. You're scared. You don't know why your parents have abandoned you in the darkness of the room. Maybe there's a nightlight, but that space is alone. And you're just going to cry yourself to sleep. Now, coming from a human perspective, that is just messed up. No one needs that, even a child. And that's, that's one of the things that you have to come into awareness and you acquire. All right, what is going to help them sleep? And then you realize if I sing them nighttime songs, give them a cuddle, some other anchoring mechanisms that could be drinking milk, uh, using the pacifier, or could it be even a doll or toy or blanket that they use every day for sleeping? This is a memory association that they built into the system. By having a person there smiling at them, singing at them, nurturing them with love, a child goes to sleep smiling and happy instead of crying themselves to sleep. So that's just one of the things I've discovered and I teach is breaking those old myths. So once you have that awareness and you acquire new information, we come to the third part, the third and final part, which is taking action. And everyone listening, you've probably been to lots of seminars, read lots of books, like, you know, but then the question becomes, who's taking action from what's prescribed in the book? And lots of people go to seminars, they get pumped up for three days and they come back, they don't take action. And it's the same with the parenting models. If you're not taking action, you're going back to your subconscious programming, which is what you've learned from your parents on how you're brought up and your parents have learned from their parents, your grandparents. So it is just repeating the cycle. So having that awareness to break the cycle, acquiring new information to evolve the cycle and taking action to make sure the cycle is trial tested, measured, and it works for you your partner and your child is very important. So that's the three steps, awareness, acquisition, and action. That's wonderful for us. Thank you for all that great information. So from everything you've actually highlighted so far, what strategies or let's say what services could parents actually use so that they can become more adapting 
to different parenting attitudes, let's say to minimize conflict or even to get rid of conflict while parenting? So the first step with any relationship is knowing that you are bringing in your knowledge, your way of life into a relationship. And you can see this uh, when two people meet together. Person A meets person B, they find each other attractive, they fall in love, they hook up, they have sex, the physical hormones gets them all excited, they have this honeymoon period for three to six months. And then the reality comes where they start showcasing their way of life, what they've learned. And this could be from societal, cultural indifferences. Because I'm in an interracial relationship. And coming from an Indian background, we have a lot of good stuff, weird stuff, and amazing stuff. But the weird stuff, that clashes with the Nordic lifestyle. And that's the first clash you have in a relationship. The way you do things is different. And during a relationship, you meet in the middle and you work it out. But when it comes to the next phase of evolving your family, because you're already a family when you're a couple, two becomes three. And then that's when the parenting clash evolves. Sorry, it just surfaces. And if you're going 50-50, it's important to talk about, hey, what do you know about babies teething? What do you know about babies eating styles, bathing styles, sleeping styles? How should we raise the child? And all of these questions are the same questions every parent goes through. And you need to sit down and have a conversation, communicate clearly to each other. This is what I know. What do you know? And compare the notes you'll see there's some correlation between some of the practices and then you'll see some of the practices are conflicting. But because you have it on paper, you have it in front of you. Then you can apply some research, some additional information. So the first step is having communication with each other, being transparent, and this is radical transparency and honesty, like Ray Dalio says. And once you have all the information on paper, go through it, analyze it, see where the gaps are. Because those gaps between what you want for the child and where you currently are, these are not problems, these are symptoms. These are symptoms that are related to lack of information. The information you currently have may be outdated. It, let me let me re, uh, let me take that back. It's highly likely to be outdated. So through documenting and research, you get clarity. So you're moving from transparent communication to clarity, scientific investigation of the parenting models to improve them. And any human being. If you have a small conflict, communication is the first step. Coming up with clarity of why this is a symptom and how can this be solved by going into the problem. And then once you have the additional information, it's about having a trial run. So once I mentioned the sleeping, and I'll use continue to use that example, is 
see what works for the baby. If singing the baby to sleep works, uh, dimming the lights in the room, using a cooler temperature, that all works. Measure it. Write down how many hours of disrupted sleep has the child had. So if you're using these new practices and she's sleeping six to eight hours without disruption, it's working. If you're trying something else and they're getting three or four hours sleep, now you have the numbers. Data speaks very well. So that's the first part, communication, clarity, and measuring the results by taking action. Secondly is get a parenting coach. Now, I wish when the baby's born, the doctor gives you a manual, like this is how you raise the baby for the next few months. But instead, it's like, trust your instincts, go with the flow, and if you're in doubt, just call us. That is not giving parents the most utmost confidence in raising their child. Because as parents, uh, you've been there as well, you have a four-year-old, Rosemary. Yeah. There's moments in the first three months like, is the child breathing? Is it serious? Do I need to go to the hospital? What's going on? And every time they're teething, every time there's a problem, they throw up, they have stomach aches. You're wondering, what do I do? What do I do? And there's also the resentment building with your partner. So getting a parenting coach, it helps you understand your child's different energy to see how they behave. And ultimately, there's three things a child needs, even as a baby. It's to be seen, it is to be heard, and it is to be understood. And most parenting models dating way back from the beginning is about unconditional love. While unconditional love is great, even better is to be understood. And if a child is understood, then they can relate and connect to you a lot better. Unconditional love is like, when they get older as a toddler, they're like, you know what, screw it. Whatever I do, you just say, oh, you're so great, baby. That's nice. Daddy loves you. And they're like, you don't understand me. I need something right now. So understanding is so important. And when parents get a parenting coach, it helps them get to clarity much faster. And why is this important? It's simply because it saves you time. As I mentioned earlier, one-fifth of couples split after 12 months of the new arrival to the family. And during this 12 months, there's a lot of turbulence. And if you could save time and reduce all that conflict by having solutions in the first three months, it will save your relationship. It will improve the family culture you're creating at home. So your child grows in a more positive, loving environment your relationship to your wife, husband, or your partner is going to improve drastically because you have all the tools to implement and get better results. When you don't have a parenting coach or don't have the information laid out clearly, you are trialing, testing, creating results which are undesirable, and that just creates frustration, dissatisfaction. And what does a human being do when they are in these negative emotions? They are blaming, shaming, and taking it out on others. Because human energy works in a very particular way. And I'll give you an example. Uh, Rosemary, have you ever been angry and trying to read a book or learn something? Never. No, you. it's a contracting energy. You're like, 
that son of a gun, he cut me off in traffic. I'm pissed off at him. And even if you're watching a good movie or documentary, none of that is being registered because you're still caught up in that event that was now in your past and it's pissing you off. And this makes you not receiving to the present moment or not presently aware to the present. And what this creates is an abundant your present moment and putting a negative energy around you. And this is felt by a child. This is felt by a partner. They ask you, why are you angry? I'm not angry. I'm thinking. And you can see the tone of the voice. You're like, this person's angry. All right. And that's the thing. If you are unable to have that emotional awareness and emotional intelligence to snap out of the negative state of mind, you're going to be caught up in it for a while. And it requires a lot of letting go. And that's the biggest thing in parenting that I can advise is it's about letting go. Yes, your partner is going to make a mistake. You are going to make a mistake. Don't hold it against them or yourself. Forgive and move on. And if you have a very strong relationship prior to coming, becoming parents, then the foundational work is set. If you have a low conflict marriage or relationship already, it's going to become more problematic. Because there's going to be more frustration and more challenging times when you have a child. There's going to be a lot of turbulence. There's lack of sleep. There's a lot of uncertainty. There's a lot of new changes in life. And the confidence diminishes. And you have to work as a team. And as a parenting coach, that's what I get people to do. Communicate, get clarity, work as a team. You are co-creating a relationship with the child and you are co-creating a relationship as a parent with your husband wife and the reason this is important is if you don't do this you become individuals co cohabitating in a space and that's why you need to save time by getting the information in the parenting coach and the final tip i want to give here and i'll summarize this right up after this rosemary is continue dating and that's what I meant by getting support systems. Support systems as in getting the grandparents to look after the child maybe every Thursday or Friday. Getting a babysitter if it's possible. Or even getting a neighbors to look after the child for three to four hours. And what this does is this gives you a date night. Go on a date with your partner. And when you're on this date, do not, I repeat, do not speak about the baby. Do not speak about how much diapers the color of the poo, the vomit, the milk. Don't talk about any of that. That's your parent life. You need to be present in your romantic life. Maybe maybe when the father's looking after the baby, the wife can go and get her hair done, get a facial, pedicure, manicure, look good, put on a dress again, get rid of the track pants or the comfy wear, the yoga pants, put on a dress, dress up, go out, have dinner, Go on a date, and if you can, maybe get a hotel room, have sex, have lots of sex. Sex brings people closer together, especially parents. And having these date nights creates that intimacy. And simply put, if 
your partner did something wrong, you instantly forgive them. And you know you're going to be having sex with them and you can't be angry with someone you're having sex with. And it just makes life a lot easier. So continue doing intimate thing to evolve your relationship. Because the biggest challenge for most parents is once a child comes into the house, when two becomes three, we consciously or unconsciously start downgrading our relationship with our partner because their relationship takes time and energy to maintain and prior to a baby let's say you had 40 hours to give to this relationship now that you have a child you might be giving 20 hours to the baby and 20 hours or less to your partner so that's why you need to create time with your partner but make sure it is quality time and that's why i say go go on a date stay in a hotel maybe once a month in the beginning, but once a week as the child becomes a toddler and can stay with others. And this will help your relationship grow and not deteriorate. So that's what I'm going to recommend. So just to summarize, transparent communication with radical honesty, clarity through documenting and researching all the information you have, and make sure it is scientific information, not just myths. Trial run and measure the results of new information you integrate into your life and the baby's life get a parenting coach if feasible but mo most importantly continue dating by getting a babysitter if you do these five steps it's going to make life a lot easier and you're going to save yourself a lot of time and reduce a lot of stress that's great for us now lastly what advice would you give any parent whose relationship is about to break down with parenting conflicts being the main issue. Yeah, absolutely. So when couples come to this point of realizing this relationship is not satisfying anymore, I'm just not feeling anymore. And you might be caught up in the cultural or societal constructs of if we divorce, if we separate, it's going to look bad for the child and bad for the family. And it's going to be really a lot of negative connotations associated with this event. Now, how you got to this point is by accepting the complication of the current parenting models, which means you've read a few books, you try to make the relationship work. But because a lot of the current information is so complicated, you need a mass PhD to understand it. And parents don't have time to read a master's thesis or someone's report. And the second part is the influence and power of outdated parenting models. Now, if you come from a two different cultures, there's going to be a lot of conflict. And if you are unwilling to meet in the middle to iron out your way, not her way or his way from their cultures, then you're going to always have conflict. And the third part is the reason you are here today thinking about a split or divorce is the fear and judgment of perfect parenting. Now, I'm a recovering perfectionist and I chase excellence now instead of perfection because perfection brings a lot of emotions and dissatisfaction in person's life. And when you have when you're chasing perfect parenting, 
and trying to impress everyone around you, it's a lot of stress. And who, who do you take the stress out on? Your partner and your child. So that's the three things I want you to think about on the way to coming to this decision. Should we separate or should we divorce? Now, I'll give you the answer in a moment. The separation effects on a child. The children, and this is statistics showing in a lot of research, the children display anxiety, depressive symptoms, they're easily irritable, negative emotions, they become demanding, non-compliant, problematic in social relationships, and their school performance diminishes. And this is related to parents splitting up. So that is one of the collateral damage of splitting up. And I'm going to give you a solution to that in just a moment. Now, some parents decide to stay together for the sake of the child. And this is a wise choice dependent on two factors. First of all, are you in a low-conflict marriage? And by low-conflict, I mean there's some level of communication there. There's some arguments there's some negative emotions, frustrations, resentment, but it is not over-dominating your relationship. And you still have the most important thing, communication. Those communication channels are open. If you're living in a household with your partner and your child, and you feel like a single parent, you feel alone because that communication has died, that is a clear sign that things are only going to get worse. But it's still time to save the relationship through communicating. And, and sometimes when this happens, the communication that does happen is simply arguments. And, and on top of that, the communication is yes, no, there's no vulnerability, authentic shares or transparency. So there's still time to save your relationship by having transparent communications and saying, hey, I love you. You're the father or mother of my child and I think I want to be with you but right now we have these problems let's sit down and let's see how we can make this work let's bring in a parenting coach counseling relationship counseling and see how we can make this work for the sake of the child and this is the first step the second thing is if it's a high conflict relationship and high conflict is usually violent in that scenario Splitting up is the safest and best thing to do. The reason is no child needs to be exposed to domestic violence. Screaming in front of the child is bad as it is. The child witnessing physical abuse of a partner creates trauma. And that trauma is going to F up the child for the next 10 to 20 years. That's a lot of therapy sessions and you're messing up the child's future. So if it's a high-conflict, violent relationship, you need to exit. There's lots of helplines available in your own countries. Call them, make a plan, exit for the child's sake, for your sake, because it is not a healthy environment and it's just going to create a lot of trauma and emotional baggage for the child, and they don't deserve this. So that's the two things to evaluate your relationship. Is it low conflict or is it high conflict? And these are the actions. Low conflict is savable. High conflict requires exit. Uh, there's a book from Catherine Woodward called Uncos Unconscious Uncoupling. 
Now, this book focuses on those parents who are, let's say, in a low-conflict relationship, who've chosen to divorce because they've tried everything, counseling, communication, it doesn't work. And this book focuses on keeping your friendship, co-parenting together for the sake of the child. And there's beautiful tips in this book that allows you to manage the child's future together and continue to be friends. Because if you do not be friends, if you choose not to be friends, then you're going to naturally speak bad about the other partner in front of the child. And the child's going to be conflicted with thoughts like mom said dad's a a-hole, he does this and this, then dad says mom's a B, the B word, and that's just going to create negative expressions and evaluation for the child of their parents like okay which parent is right which one's wrong and that's going to create more trauma and therapy but if you positively speak about the child and remember you're still a teen mom dad or two moms or one child however the infrastructure of the family is you're still a team and you still need to work together because you are in this for the long term and yes, you might have fallen out of love. You might have separated because of that, because you need something to fill your intimate needs and you're getting that outside of your existing relationship. So you had to separate. If you choose to do that, you still need to work as a team, communicate, have lunches together, have dinners together, be friends. Because before you became lovers, you were friends. And you can still go back to that. And it's just a matter of choice. So the book, Unconscious Uncoupling, I really recommend that as a read. But most importantly, remain civil, friendly, and transparent. Treat your ex-wife or ex-husband as a close friend. You created a child together. And that is magic. That is putting a life on this planet. And you're both responsible for this. And if you're going to work together... It's better to work together being friendly. And yes, divorce is going to create shock. It's going to create frustration, perhaps depression. It's like, God damn, I gave 20, 20 years of my life to that person. Now I've got wrinkles. I've got some cellulite. I've got some belly fat. Who's going to date me? You are beautiful. You are still going to go out dating. You're going to find someone. Your soulmate is still out there. We evolve. We go into new relationships. We find new people to love. And those people love us. So it's not the end of the world. But when you come out from a long-term relationship, you're like, how am I going to do this? But just realize when you're single, you're probably th 20, 30 years ago, you're probably thinking the same thing. How am I going to get a partner? How am I going to get married? How am I going to have a child? You've done that. And you can do it again. There's someone for you out there and all you have to do is take action and you will find that person so it's not the end of the world and while you're searching for the person continue your friendship with your baby daddy or daddy or the mother of your child i always mix up those words rosemary <laughs> baby, daddy, baby mama uh too much influence from the u.s uh so anyway if you continue your friendship with your partner, then you have that support network going forth. So it's not a stressful experience. Because if you isolate yourself from your 
partner, then you are a, let's say, 50% co-parent, there's a lot of pressure finding that partner. But if you're coming from a place of, we've got a good relationship, we're working well together, and he's looking for someone, I'm looking for someone, we're supporting each other through the process, you've got a friend, you still have your team intact. And that is so important, which comes to my last point, you put the child first. Because the child needs to see, all right, mommy and daddy are not sleeping in the same bed, help. Okay, maybe daddy's moved out to a new place, but they continue to be friendly. When they meet each other, they give hugs and a kiss on the cheek. They continue to laugh together. They continue to play with me together. We are still spending time as a family. Yes, I have an additional mom and an additional dad because if the relationships go successful outside of your divorce, there's additional parents and the child's going to like, all right, let me just accept them. And if you have this friendly relationship with your ex, things get easier. And to come to this point, as I mentioned, if it's a low conflict relationship, it can become a infinitesimal conflict relationship, reducing it by a huge percent, but it requires bringing in external help. Sometimes the bridges are damaged between communication between two partners, and that happens over time. And a lot of that is the holding on to past events, negative memories, and continuing them to fuel arguments. And it's important to realize that you have to let go. And once you've done that, it's just a simple process of moving forward, communicating, being transparent, and every relationship can be saved. And like I mentioned, if it cannot be saved, to become an intimate relationship, then it just becomes a relationship which is based on friendship. And once you have that relationship based on friendship, you can move forward of working together, getting those results. So that's the quick summary of that, Rosemary. Thank you so much for all those encouraging words and that beautiful response. Now, I'd like to ask you, so should anyone wish to connect with you, how can they get in touch? All right, definitely. Uh, so uh, easiest way to contact with me is to go to probably Instagram. And uh, Rosemary, you can put the handle inside the show notes as well if you want. I will. But it's uh, F-A-R-A-A-Z, the number four, and then R-E-A-L, for us for real, that is the actual Instagram handle. And if you're on Facebook, you can connect to my Facebook group where I have uh, regular videos and tips on all of these topics. It is called Aspire to Connect. So facebook.com forward slash groups forward slash Aspire to Connect. And this is a collective safe space for parents who are looking for tips, videos, on how to make the lifestyle design more positive and fun. Because parenting is a playful experience, not a serious experience. And that's how I approach my parenting. And it's a space where I share these videos. And uh, you're more than welcome to join, speak to other parents. And I think we touched upon creating a space for men 
this is where a lot of men gather as well to share their feelings. So, uh, and I can redirect you to other groups as well, which is exclusively men spaces. That's fantastic. You have been fantastic today for us. I really appreciate you coming on today. Um, and everything you've said is just great. And thank you one more time. And that's it for today. Thank you so much for having me, Rosemary. Oh. And yeah, always a pleasure to contribute on this topic. And even if it changes the life of one person listening to this podcast, it makes a difference. It and would. yeah, I encourage, uh, I encourage everyone to listen to this. And if you know of someone who's in a situation, who's got a new child who are struggling in their relationship and they're not being vulnerable or revealing their problems, but you can notice this from the external, share this podcast with them. It's not too long. It's uh, almost, yeah, almost an hour, but it's going to change their life. And like I said, Rosemary, if one person, one person's life has changed, we are making a difference. And collectively, Definitely. let's work together and show up with more compassion for other parents. See where you can help other parents. And if you, even if you're not a parent, it gives you good practice. And practice makes progress. That's what I wanted to share. Thank you, Rosemary, for your time. It's been a pleasure. Thank you. Thank you so much. Well, friends, thank you for listening all the way through. Faraz has given some wonderful answers and I hope this has been very impactful to many. I will be back again next week with another personal development topic. Thank you very much for your time. You have a great week.